0: What is going on? It is your host, Matt Labrie, and you are tuned into the Decoding Success Podcast. Now listen up, everyone. First and foremost, I want to express my gratitude right off the bat for you. And with that said, I am really grateful for the fact that we are able to amplify and share with you all of the insights and experiences of one of the most successful entrepreneurs of our time. And you want to know what to even classify this individual as just an entrepreneur is truly unjust for all that he's been able to accomplish and continue continuously accomplish throughout his life and we're gonna get into that in just a little bit but firstly I want to express my gratitude for you seriously because I might have said this once twice three times four times five six however many times I've said it but the fact that you're tuning into a podcast as opposed to playing a game on your phone or just twiddling your thumbs like you're literally diving into something that is sharing experiences and insights from individuals that are doing it and have done it and there's something to learn so what I'm getting getting at here is I want to make sure that you're patting yourself on the back. You're rewarding yourself for your efforts to continuously develop as an individual. And I think it's really remarkable and something super admirable. And, you know, I try and pat myself on the back. So I just want everyone to know that you should be doing the same. And I'm not saying go out and buy a car for yourself unless you deserve that or you feel like you deserve it. But you get what I'm saying. Maybe treat yourself to a lunch or something of that nature. Now, listen, today, our guests and all of our guests are truly truly amazing and this individual is like no other he, he really is. Today we are joined by Jeff Hoffman who is a successful entrepreneur, a proven CEO, worldwide motivational speaker, published author Hollywood film producer a producer of a Grammy winning jazz album and an executive producer of an Emmy award winning TV show. Literally absolutely amazing stuff coming from Jeff. He has been the founder of multiple startups, has been the CEO of both public and private companies and has served as a senior executive in many capacities. Jeff has been a part of a number of well-known companies such as Priceline.com. I'm sure you know what Priceline is and I'm sure you know Jeff. Now Jeff serves on the boards of companies in the U.S., in Europe, South America, Africa, and Asia. Are there any continents he's not a part of? Supporting entrepreneurs and small businesses in more than 150 countries. He also serves on the boards of Global Entrepreneurship Week and The Unreasonable Group. He supports the White House, the US State Department, the United Nations, and foreign governments on economic growth initiatives and entrepreneurship. Jeff is a frequent keynote speaker, having been invited to speak in over 50 countries on the topics of innovation, entrepreneurship, and business leadership. He is the co-author of the book Scale, a how-to guide for growing your business. Now, Jeff also teaches innovation workshops to major corporations on a regular basis. Jeff is a featured business expert seen on Fox News, Fox Business, CNN, CNN International, Bloomberg News, CNBC, ABC, and NPR, just to name a few, and in publications including Forbes, Inc., Time, Fast Company, The Wall Street Journal, and more. Jeff received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the National CEO Council for his contributions to the field of entrepreneurship, and he received the Champion of Entrepreneurship Award from J.P. Morgan Chase, Citibank, and and rising tide capital as well as receiving the george brown award for international cooperation outside of the world of tech jeff has produced movies has produced musical events including concerts tours and charity events with such artists as Elton John, Britney Spears, InSync, and others, and serves on numerous charity and nonprofit boards. Now, Jeff is bringing all of these experiences, all of his insights, right here to Decoding Success today for all of you, and luckily, we are able to provide this episode to you thanks to our partnerships with such amazing companies. Firstly, I'd like to give a shout out to our partner, Gen M. Now, we're kicking it off with Gen M because simply, they've very much so aligned with what Jeff has done in his life whether that is in business or philanthropic work and things of that nature now if you're a business owner if you're a startup or maybe you're a decision maker in the C-suite whatever the case is Gen M is helping businesses find the help they need in regards to interns interns have been a critical part of my business and something that Gen M has been able to provide me personally here at 1B branding in New York City that has been super Super, super important to our growth and our efforts to scale. Now, the best part is Gen M is affordable. It is an absolutely amazing program that costs less than $200 to be a part of on a quarterly basis. Now, I'll say that again. It costs less than $200 to be a part of on a quarterly basis. This was an absolute no-brainer when I came across this and when I was given this information. So what I wanted to do was make sure that we here at Decoding Success were able to partner up with Gen M to amplify their message, to amplify their offerings to all of you here in the Decoding Success faithful community, because we do have a ton of business owners, we do have a ton of decision makers and people that are part of businesses, or you want to know what, how about this? A lot of individuals have actually came to me and said, you know what, Matt, this has been tremendous for me, and I'm not even a business owner. I might be a real estate agent within a brokerage, but I realized that I needed help on my social media, or I needed help creating content, or I needed help with SEO, or I needed help with X, Y, and Z. Gen M can help you. So what I'm going to say is check out the link in the show notes of this episode. The link is a little bit funky, so that's why I say just check it out in the show notes. If it's not for you, it's not for you, but I promise you, and I have this feeling, that it will most definitely be able to help you. Secondly, we have been partnered up with Audible since the beginning of this show. Now, so many of you have been able to claim your complimentary, totally free, no strings attached audiobook of your choice on top of it all. So, if you have not taken advantage of the offer that Audible has teamed up with us to offer all of our faithful listeners, if you have not claimed that offer just yet, you still have the opportunity to do so. It is a totally complimentary, totally no strings attached totally free 99 audiobook of your choice any audiobook on their platform again and to claim this all you have to do is head over to audibletrial.com forward slash decoding success and to make it easy for you i am going to put that link in the show notes of this episode as well now without further ado we bring to you jeff hoff Jeff, first and foremost, I am super excited to have you on the show today to decode your success and learn from you and amplify that message. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to it. For sure. Listen, first question straight off the bat for you is how do you personally define success? Uh, interesting because
1: success we are raised, it changed. We are raised to believe that success is a combination of one, two, or three of these things, money, fame, or power. If someone's rich, we say, well, he made it. <laughs> if someone's famous, we say, well, she made it, right? But in fact, this is my new, my new definition of success, because I have, I have billionaire friends who are miserable. I have famous friends who are miserable. So I said, it must not be, success must not be what we are raised to believe. It ain't just about money or fame. And here's what I realized, that success is anybody that you can stop at any moment, can turn around and look at their entire life up to right now and say, man, what a ride, right? Anybody that wouldn't trade their life with anybody else's, people that say to you, I love my life, even with all my mistakes, I love my life, don't touch mine. I like it exactly how it is. That's success. That person might have no money, no fame but they are living their life on their terms the way they wanted to live it and and experiencing the things they wanted to experience. So that's my new definition of success. It's people that love their life and don't want to trade it with anybody else.
0: I love that. Now, that is an amazing definition of success. That's honestly a very unique take and perspective as well. So I appreciate you sharing that. I I honestly don't think we've heard that before on this show. So my question to that, Jeff, is how do you find yourself staying on track to achieve that new definition of success, (laughs) which is essentially being able to look back and loving the
1: journey, right? So yeah, absolutely. So a big part of that was having to get over, and I talk to people all over the world about this having to get past this fundamental belief, as silly as this is, that your job and your sort of dreams and passions are mutually exclusive. Uh, what people say is, you know, when I ask people about their dreams, kids all have a dream. When they get older, they roll their eyes. I say, what? And they say, look, man, you got to grow up. I say, what does that mean? And people say to me, I have a, a husband, a wife, a mortgage, kids. And I said, and, and they say, at some point, you got to grow up, right? My childhood dreams of the wonderful life I was going to live, you know, disappear when it's time to pay the mortgage and you have your first kid or whatever. And I sit there and thinking, is that growing up or is that just giving up? man? Right? Are these people just giving up? Because you are accepting that your job is this thing you have to do to be a responsible adult. And at the end of the week, if there's any money left over time or energy, you'll go do something you want to do or Think of the old model. Someday when I retire, then I'm going to go climb Mount Everest when my knees don't even work. Um, So I think that the answer to your question of how you stay focused on that is think about the things that would make your life epic. What do you want to do that would make your life epic? Mine was I wanted to travel. I wanted to go see the world. I made a decision that before I die, I want to have visited 50 countries. That's my epic life. That's the life I look back on and say, wow, that was good. So instead of having a job that prevented me from doing those things, I went out, this is why I became an entrepreneur. I said, I'm gonna go out and create a job where my actual job is to travel and do those things. So maybe you're less surprised now that I was part of companies like Priceline and travel companies, because my goal was to be a responsible adult, pay my bills, and yet go live my epic life. If you want to see the world, then maybe start a travel company. If you love fashion, then maybe start a fashion company. So find a way to create both in the same space, your dreams and your responsibilities as as a business, as an adult.
0: Yeah, that's a very interesting perspective, you know, and I think something for all of us tuned in to ponder on is what you mentioned, Jeff, growing up versus giving up. I think that is extremely interesting. And you know, you took, you talked about making your life epic through travel, which is what you love. I have to ask, I'm big on travel.
1: What's your favorite country? Oh man, that is so hard because there's so many places I like for totally different reasons. I'll give you an example that people would never guess. I love going to Ghana. You know why? It's not the country. It's a poor country. It's the people It has one of the highest happiness indexes in the world because it's a people that focus on their blessings, not the things they don't have. So when I go there, I'm always uplifted and energized. I love Australia for a different reason. Obviously, I like the people there, but in Australia, I never go indoors, whether it's the Great Barrier Reef or or the Outback or Ayers Rock, I'm outside the whole time. So I have some favorite, New Zealand's the same, I have some favorite places, but they're favorite for different reasons.
0: I love that. I Do love you? that. Do so you? You oh,
1: have a course. favorite country, listeners.
0: Oh, it's so tough. I just did my first 15-day Euro trip last summer and we hit so many amazing cities in France and in Spain and in Norway. Uh, We we were in Monaco. Uh, So, I have to say, personally, it's France. I mean, I did up and down the Caribbean. I'm 26 years old. I'm trying to do as much as possible uh, in a smart way, but I have to say France and I think that's because that's my parents' background. My father's side is French and honestly, I loved it. I loved it. I was in proximity to such amazing individuals in places like Saint-Tropez and in Nice and in Cannes and Antibes that, you know, being in proximity of that, I felt like it was propelling me towards my dreams even more. So, if I were to answer that, it would have to be France. That's very, very cool. Yeah, I love it. Now, Jeff, we we talked about your journey very briefly. I would love for you to, in your own words, walk
1: us through your journey from point A to Z. Sure. So, I uh, grew up in kind of a small town, right? I grew up in Arizona, but it was really just the desert where I was then, uh, not a big city or anything. And a lot of people, mostly a single mom, and a lot of people that I grew up with didn't really want to go anywhere or do anything. Now, I am never, it is never my place to judge anyone else. right? There's no right or wrong in life. It's a DNA thing, right? I wanted to go see the world, and I was fascinated. And I have to tell you, Matt, that came from – In like sixth or seventh grade, one of the book choices we had to read was a Mark Twain book. And I picked up the book and in the cover, Mark Twain wrote, travel is the fatal enemy of prejudice. And when I read that, it really, I was like up all night thinking about that. And I realized that for me to ever become the person I want to become one day, um, I need to travel. I need to spend time literally breaking bread with families who don't look like me people of every color, shape, size, and ethnicity. And if I could do that and meet people around the world and have dinner with people everywhere, I would become a much better person. So that was my goal. I need to go see the world. And I literally said then, before I die, if I don't make it to 50 countries, then I haven't lived the life I wanted to live. And so that was a driver for me even back then. And so I went and got a degree. Well, I'll tell you what, I applied to a a program that had this brand new thing called artificial intelligence in a computer science department that I wanted to study that because I thought that tech was going to be really cool one day. And one of the few schools that had that back then was Yale. And I applied to Yale from a place where no one ever goes to schools like Harvard or Yale. And I got in, and I got there, and I didn't have the money. And they basically said, you you got to leave. We understand. We gave you scholarships. We gave you aid but you didn't come up with your part of the money and you can't go to school here. And I understand that Yale was not in the wrong, but I was not leaving. This was my dream. So I started my first little company, which was a software company, like the first week of freshman year at Yale. Um, And I did that not about money and not about being an entrepreneur, but because I wasn't leaving without that degree. And so the important lesson for me was if you have a big problem in your life, uh, but, it, you know, it's the path to a big dream you want to achieve, and you're willing to work as hard as your dream is big, there's a way. And, and it turned out that by creating value for other people in the world, solving their problems, people will pay you. And, you know, I literally would, would write software for companies while I was a student. They'd give me a check. I'd walk down to the financial department at Yale. I'd kiss the check goodbye and hand it to them. And in that way, I funded my entire Yale education. Got a degree, a technology degree, computer science, uh, and went off into the tech world. And I had a brief stint in corporate America. But again, being very honest with you, it didn't go well for me. I don't think they cared for my. Turns out I have this problem there's no 12-step program for, and it's called sarcasm. And for some odd reason, Matt, corporate America doesn't seem to value sarcasm the way I do. (laughs) So I was in trouble all the time um and i i i again i just had a bad experience and i was sitting in an engineering cubicle all day again i'm not judging corporate jobs versus not what i'm telling you is my dream in life was to go visit 50 countries but every day i just visited the same cubicle and so one day i said i am never going to get to live my epic life that i will look back at and call my life a success if i don't find some way to travel and i didn't have a way so i left and started my first ever startup using my tech skills from my software degree, uh, which was, I'll just tell you what it was real quick. The, uh, when you go in an airport now and you check in, and you check in at a kiosk where you get your own boarding pass, that was my first product. Those didn't exist. I created the first self-check-in kiosk, got patent on them, sold them to airports all over the world. So two things happened. I was able to pay my bills like a responsible adult. I had a job. Um, but I also got a chance to achieve my goal of seeing the world because my job literally was to go to a different country every week to install check-in kiosks in airports. i now in airports all over the world. So that was the start of my entrepreneurial career. I've been doing startups ever since. Some succeeded. Uh, you know, some that I was part of did really well, like Priceline, and I had failures along the way. But uh, I've just been building startups centered, you know, around tech but around entertainment and media as well ever since then that's my story.
0: I love it. Listen, Jeff, you're you're nothing short of inspiring. And I think what's really admirable looking or learning about your story, I should say is how you didn't falter when your back was up against the wall. Instead, you know, you pushed forward specifically speaking about your experience at Yale. I really admire that. And, you know, so many questions just spurred in my mind from hearing that the first one being which you kind of touched on already was what made you or caused you to catch that entrepreneurial bug?
1: Was it all about the ability to create and problem solve? Well, it was two things that met in the middle. So that's a great question. I, you know, for all those years when I was off on my own, if somebody had asked me, I never used the word entrepreneur. I can't even spell that word today. Um, I would have never said I'm an entrepreneur. If people would have said, what do you do for a living? I would have said I'm a problem solver. That's it. And, and part of that came from my, you know, one of my biggest personality flaws, which I know my mother has never stopped telling me, which is I'm horribly impatient. So I'm the guy in any line that is saying, oh, come on, how could this possibly take this long? And other people are yelling, dude, calm down. It just takes this long. And I'm standing there saying, maybe there's a better way. Maybe they don't know what they're doing. And people are saying, just wait in the line. But I don't just wait in the line. I wind up going home and saying, there has to be a better way to do this. Is there? And then I'm fixated on solving the problem. And that's what happened to me that first time standing in an airport line and waiting forever to check in. And it took an hour to check in, and I missed a flight. And I was like, there has got to be a better way to get people checked into a flight than this. So my impatience led me to want to solve the problem, which led to the creation of those kiosks. So that's the first half of my drive was my natural impatience and desire to solve problems and make things better. But the second half of that was realizing that, and this is for all your listeners, if you solve problems in the industry you want to be in, you get to do anything. I, I, I you know, Problem-solving skills will take you anywhere. The simple formula for leading an epic life is... You know, have a big dream of where you want to be and what you want to do. Study that industry. Find a way to solve the problems they have. A real quick example was later in my life, I, I wanted, I love music and tours and concerts and being around it. So later in my life, I took a break from tech and I studied in depth the music industry and all the problems they have in the industry and which ones are, they solve and which ones they don't and which ones I thought I could solve. And I started a music company uh, because I wanted to be around the music industry, but you can't be around that or the way to be around that is to be valuable to that industry by solving a problem that, I, that they have. So the combination, the intersection of of loving to solve problems and solving problems in industries that you would love to be around is what led to my, the rest of my career.
0: Wow, that's a very interesting take. And, you know, when you say it like that, and, you know, I ponder on my own life, I I can see that uh, I have similar traits. So I really, you know, respect and appreciate you sharing that with us. And as mentioned, so many questions spurred when you were talking about your journey, and I have to ask this quite selfishly. Uh, I was in November of 2018, when I left my job with Damon John of Shark Tank, and, you know, kind of transitioning out of the quote unquote, corporate life into full time entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurial journeys and things of that nature. So I have to ask, how did you deal with the un- uncertainties of not knowing what was around the corner when you quit that corporate job?
1: Okay, so that's a great question, too, because that's where the, uh, that's where the DNA part comes in. And again, I fundamentally believe this. Um, it, it's everybody isn't cut out to be an entrepreneur, and that's fine. Uh, that it is a function of your DNA. So I mentioned to you that I had one corporate, engineer, corporate job when I got up with my engineering degree. And the day that I started, there was a guy that started with me. We went to training together and we were sat in cubicles next to each other. And one day we were sitting there and he was talking about uh, the fact that, that he needs security. He needs to know what's coming tomorrow. And we were having this discussion and I looked around because I was thinking to myself, if every day for the next 20 years of my life is going to look exactly like today, just kill me now. (laughs) And when I went off to be an entrepreneur, he said, you're never sure what's going to happen next. I said, I know I love it. And he said, I would kill myself in that situation. And we looked at each other and laughed. He said, I feel good when I know that everything is going to be the same day after day because that's my comfort zone. And he said, you feel good when there's an unknown out there that gets you all excited because you don't know what's going to happen next. So your DNA leads you to that. Entrepreneurs are thrilled. You know, there's that saying, being an entrepreneur is like jumping off a cliff and trying to build a mountain on the, trying to build an airplane on the way down. So, you know, I, I, some people are scared to death and would never jump off a cliff. I Am much feel much more alive and exhilarated when I throw myself off a cliff and I don't even know how I'm going to build the airplane yet. It's a DNA thing.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's one of my favorite quotes. I believe that's by yeah, Reed, I love that one. Reed Hoffman. I believe that's from, honestly, that is, honestly, that quote right there is actually one of the reasons I felt compelled to leave my corporate job. So again, that resonates with me on a very high level. Now, Jeff, I have to ask, knowing your, your background and learning more about it now, how do you find yourself successfully managing all you have going on from the businesses to the speaking, to producing and writing and everything in between?
1: Jeez, I was hoping you knew the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was actually just before our call, before this call, I was looking at the pile of stuff on my calendar and my email inbox and my text and saying, uh-oh, um, it's really hard, but I'll tell you the technique that I've used most of the time. People stress over their to-do list because you can never—they can't get everything done. And here's what the way I've managed to get through it. So I'm admitting that I'm not an expert, and you know, if any of your listeners have a great idea, email me. Um, the, uh, but here's what I have always done in, in, in my life: at any given time, and I tend to do this at a year at a time, is write what you, your goal for this year. What do you want to get out of this year? And I'm going to make this up. If your goal is to learn Mandarin, right? Then by the end of this year I'm going to speak fluent Mandarin. Whatever your goal is, I'm going to learn some skill, some growth, some development. It might be something as simple as you are having your first child and you need a bigger house. So for this year I just got to make X dollars. But be measurable and specific. What do I have to get done this year? Okay? So if I need to save enough money for a down payment in a house or if I need to learn Mandarin so that I can launch an office in China, whatever your goal is, have a goal for the year. Then what I do, and I do this every morning, every morning you pull out your to do list. There's 22 things on it. You're never going to finish them all. Every day I look at it and say, I want to sort these in order of most bang for the buck of all the things I could spend my time on today. Which of those things is get, going to get me closer to that down payment or closer to learning Mandarin? Whatever your goal is. And so you reprioritize every day and you just focus on doing the one or two things each day that get you closer to your goal, the closest, the most bang for the buck, and you just stop stressing over everything else. So I don't get everything I'm on my list done, but I always get the right ones done and I get the ones that are most likely to move me from the 20-yard line to the 50 to the other 30 down to the end zone. And I just don't stress over all the stuff I can't finish.
0: No, that's great advice. I think uh, Brian Tracy actually talks about that to-do list task in one of his books. I believe it's called Eat That Frog. And I have to ask this, Jeff, are you saying
1: to only focus on one goal per year? No, I'm just saying that uh, uh, not necessarily one, but a small number. Um, and, And it was less the number of goals. It was more the use of your time. Let's say you had three goals on that list. The question you ask yourself all the time, what am I doing right now? And how is that getting me closer to one, two, or three of those goals? And if it's not, because so often people are spending time on tasks, on work, or with people that are not, in fact, getting you any closer to the place you were trying to go. So that's what I'm talking about. it's, It's less the number of goals. It's more the constant reassessment of is the thing I'm spending my time on actually getting me closer to that goal? If not, I'll do it next year.
0: Yeah, I definitely appreciate that clarity. That's super, super helpful. Something that I'm definitely going to take into account for sure. Now, I have to ask this as well. You know, you've been a part of multiple startups. Were there any commonalities between any of them that have made them successful?
1: Yes, I think uh, the the a couple of them, and these are things I try to share with entrepreneurs all over the world. That's what I spend most of my life doing now is mentoring startups and entrepreneurs. (laughs) And One of them is success, and I fundamentally really, really believe this. Success comes when you focus on winning a gold medal at one thing, not trying to be everything. In the early Amazon days, I talked to Bezos a number of times, and There weren't a lot of people building internet companies, so we crossed paths more. Um, and Bezos, what people forget is he spent, I don't know what it was, seven years selling nothing but books. Jeff said, I just need to become the best darn bookseller on the planet before I do anything else, right? Tony Shea with Zappos. They were like they only sold shoes at the beginning. I want to be the best darn shoe seller on the planet. So what, what the common element of our companies I've been involved with that were successful, you know, if, if you look at Priceline, which is also booking.com today. Uh, You know, 93%, I think, is the number of the company's worldwide revenue. And it does business in 180 countries. It's only one product, hotel rooms. It's the gold medalist and it sells more hotel rooms than any other company in the world. So for your listeners, uh, success comes from picking one thing to do, not launching four product lines or serving every customer with everything. The company, someday you can do that. What we're talking about is to go from little to big. Amazon scaled selling only books. Zappos scaled selling only shoes. Priceline scaled selling pretty much only hotel rooms. Win a gold medal at one thing, um, I think, is the common element. Is the focus on being the best at something you can actually be the best at.
0: For sure, that's definitely some advice that I personally need to hear. So again, I definitely (laughs) appreciate you sharing that. Now, let me ask you, what was your biggest lesson learned over the course of all of these ventures that you've had?
1: The um, biggest lesson learned, I would say, is that the scarcest resource in the world is not funding, it's not money, it's talent. It's way easier. Everybody talks about funding startups or growth companies. It's way easier to get money than it is to get spectacular people. So, as a leader, you need to out start spending a little less time running the business, a little more time going out to find people smarter than you and let them run the business. Literally, success comes when you surround yourself with people that are smarter than you and get out of the way. And it took me a long time to learn that because I was so busy running the company. And then when I realized, you know what? There's probably somebody that knows how to do this task, this task, and this task better than me. I need to get out of the office and go people hunting. And when I found people smarter than me in the areas that weren't my best expertise, and then trusted them and empowered them That's when I became successful, when I realized that that finding people smarter than you and letting them do what they do uh, accelerates your growth way faster than trying to do everything yourself.
0: Yeah, we hear time and time again from individuals just like yourself, Jeff, that hop on this show, they talk about the importance of team. And I learned it firsthand, you know, when I was working with Damon John, the way he built his teams were, you know, it was phenomenal, it was inspiring, and it very much so aligns with what you shared. So it's ringing bells in my mind right now, how important that truly is. And to transition a little bit, I have to ask, we're we're talking about qualities and things of that nature from the business perspective, but I would like to, you know, talk about you personally, what do you feel has been the most beneficial? to your personal success in terms of any habits and characteristics or things of that nature. I know that you mentioned um, on the opposite spectrum, you, you mentioned impatience, although that served to be something that was very beneficial to you when you created those kiosks. So I'm curious, is there anything else?
1: Um, yeah, I, I, I think I sort of hit on one. For For me, one of it was, and this is looking back, I wish I'd been smart enough to know this going forward. I've always been very good at listening to all the noise around me and slicing through it to pick out what actually mattered, right? So I could have 20 people telling me what to do and I would I would sit there, I would collect all the data and then I'd stare at it and say, this is it. We're turning left here and we're going this way. Um, so separating, you know, sort of picking out the most important things out of in a noisy world. Um, I was always very good at that. Uh, there was There was always a lot of data, a lot of opinions, a lot of noise. And I would say, okay, I've listened to everybody, and I'm I'm zeroing in on this is what I think is the most important thing for us to focus on now. I think my ability to cut through the clutter uh, helped me a lot of times. You know, I'll listen to people talking, and I'll say, okay, you've been talking for twenty minutes, and I have no idea what the actual point is. What is the point of what you're saying, right? What is it? You know, what what's the request? The action item? So. Cutting through the clutter is important. And I would say a second thing that has helped me, again, looking backwards, um, is I I spent a long time developing empathy, the skill set of empathy. So the reason that I was able to attract and retain the greatest employees in the world, people way smarter than me, was because later they told me, I feel like you really listen to me, you know, hear me and care about me. And developing the skill set of empathy comes from realizing it is not all about you, right? You're not, you can't do this alone, whatever you're trying to do. You're gonna need a team and you're gonna need people to believe in you and wanna work for you. And that happens when you believe in them and wanna take care of them. So empathy was my second one.
0: I love that, I love that. Listen, we're we're very much so in a noisy world. So that is most definitely an amazing skill to be able to have. And you know, on the same topic, focusing on you personally, what was the best advice you ever received?
1: Um, wow, that's a good one, too. I would say that, uh, oh, I got to think about that, because I've had a lot of people that mentors, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell it to you then, one that comes to mind, because there's probably more than one. I don't know if there's one best piece, but in the end, I had a mentor, his name was Roger, and what Roger was telling me was that the ability to communicate your idea, whatever you're trying to communicate, is so critically important. Whether you are pitching a product in marketing to customers, whether you're describing your business to get investors, or whether you're trying to convince employees to do what needs to be done, your ability to deliver your message concisely, you know, clearly and in a compelling way is so important to your success. And he did this drill with me that I just loved. He told me, what's your message, Jeff? What are you trying to say? Again, for your listeners, Whether you're trying to market your product, this goes for marketing, this goes for an investor pitch, or it goes for just managing employees. He said, what are you trying to say right now? Write it down. And I wrote it down. And then he took a pen and he said, I want you to cross off half the words in your sentence. And I was like, I don't know if I can do that. He said, cross them off. So I got to pick them. I crossed off half the words in my communication, in your marketing piece or whatever. And then he said, read it to me again. He said, does that still say the same thing with only half the words? I said, well, yeah, it still really does. And he said, okay, do it again. And he would make me cross off half the words in my sentence or my marketing collateral until it got to a point where I said, now it makes no sense. And he said, okay, back up one and that's, that's your message. And so he taught me to become a concise, clear communicator. I could get across a point in way less time and less words and more effectively than I ever used to do. And I realized that helped me because my marketing campaigns were effective, my investor pitches were effective, and my employees said, got it, man, let's go. So that was the drill that my mentor, that was the advice he gave me, and he gave me a little drill to do it uh, to really refine my ability to deliver messages.
0: Yeah, that's super actionable advice. And you know, what's very interesting, how that aligns with your quality of being able to essentially identify what truly matters in such a noisy world, you know, they're kind of on the same track. So again, that's awesome. Now, on the same topic of advice, I have to ask you, Jeff, what was the piece of advice that you didn't want to hear, but it proved to be true over time?
1: One that I didn't want to hear um Think about that for a minute, because there's been a number of times where people have sat me down. and I was like, okay. Um, I would say that was probably, I know what that is. Um, it's that no matter how smart you are, you're not as smart as you think you are, no matter how talented you are. And the reason for that, let me explain it. When you start a business, it's only you. Maybe you're one person, you know, a solopreneur. Maybe you have two people. So that means you're doing seven jobs. You're doing HR, you're doing product design, you're doing marketing, you're paying the bills and doing finance and it's going well. So you start to think I'm pretty good at this stuff. And so the piece of advice I didn't want to hear was my little company was doing pretty well. I I was doing all right at all this stuff. And and I had somebody come in and say, I said, "I'm, I'm pretty good at this stuff. And he said, no, you're not. I said, wait, look at the results. The company is going well. And he said, you're not good at those things. And I said, then how am I doing them well? And he said, you're doing them fine for now, and it's not sustainable. I said, what do you mean? And he said, each of us is really only good at one thing probably. And and what he said to me was, he said, Jeff, you know, I've never hired a marketing person uh, that also, excuse me, I've never hired an engineer is what he said that also wrote my marketing campaigns and did my taxes, right? He's right. <laughs> and my tax accountant does not, in fact, do right code for our products. And I started thinking, he's right, no matter, even if you're the CEO, even if you're the leader, and even if you're doing a whole, you're wearing a bunch of different hats now and the company's going well, you are not good at those things. If you're a marketing person, stick to marketing and find people better than you at everything else. So that was the piece I didn't want to hear. He, well, that's, said,
0: that's great.
1: he said, you're not, you're not as good as you think you are, and you're not good at more than one thing. Jeff, I, by the way, Matt, I'm an engineer. I have an engineering degree, and I learned later I'm not even a good engineer. My, my own developer said, Jeff, why do you keep writing code? I said, because that's what I do for a living. And they're like, yeah, you kind of suck at it. And I was like, wait, what? And It's my company. I hired you guys, and they said, you know, your code's the worst code in the company. And they're like, would you please stop writing code? And I said, what is it you want me to do? I'm a software engineer like you. And they said, well, we're all software engineers, but the rest of us are good at it. And I said, wow, that was a stunning day. I didn't want to hear that. And I said, what do you guys want me to do? And they said, well, the product's almost done and none of us know anything about marketing. Why don't you go look at that? So it turned out that a technical marketing role is actually uh, where I was. That's where I belonged. And, and when I listened to that advice, you're, not, you're only good at one thing. I found out I was way better at marketing technology than I ever was at building it. Wow, that is
0: interesting. And you want to know what? I give them a, a lot of credit to be able to speak up like that because quite often, you know, uh, people just don't speak like that. And honestly, that, that's insane. Your, your advice is really spot on. And Jeff, I have to ask you, what's a question that you wish more people would ask you? And how would you answer it?
1: Um, I think more people, I actually wish right along the lines of what we just talked about, uh, more people would ask me, what should I, I, not me, them, what should I focus on so that they can dig into the one thing they're really good at and stop trying to do everything else? That's where this, I still meet, here's what I meet. I meet so many business owners that say to me, and this is why I wound up writing the book Scale with my co-author, David Finkel. We wrote scale because everybody could come to me and say, man, I'm stuck. I said, what do you mean you're stuck? They said, I built my business from zero to 500,000 a year to 2 million a year. And now we're at 8 million a year in revenue. And now we've been at 8 million for three years in a row. We stopped growing. I just feel stuck and I'm doing more work than ever. And I go look at it and they're doing what I told you. They're doing everything. All the decisions go through them. They are the business owner. They're the CEO and they're the bottleneck. They're in the way. They're they're own problem. So I wish more people would ask me, what should I be really focusing on? And what I would tell them is, you should be focusing your time on doing the one thing you're good at. If You should be in every marketing meeting if that's your thing. And the rest of your time, you should be going out and looking for people smarter than you to run all the other pieces. They don't ask me that. They don't say, which one thing, you know, what's my highest and best use? I was talking to this is completely random. I was talking to a surgeon one day and it's a friend of mine, but I went to meet him for lunch and I was office and he was on the computer scheduling patient appointments. And I said, seriously, I said, what does surgery come to per hour? And he said an ungodly number. And I said, so shouldn't you be doing surgeries? And he said, well, somebody's got to schedule these meetings. And I was like, if you paid a $40,000 a year, you know, office administrator, to schedule all the patients, you'd be able to do more surgeries for which you make, you know, her salary in a day. This makes no sense that you're spending any time on this. So, people should ask me, what is my highest and best use and how do I get to that?
0: Now, Jeff, why do you feel like people don't um, give up wearing so many hats? Is it because, do you, I mean, personally, do you think it's because their business is their quote-unquote baby? You know, I, I see it quite often too. So, I'm, I'm curious what you think about that. Two reasons.
1: One is because they've had early success. And so they think they're doing fine. Right. And they say, Hey man, it's going well. And, and, you know, along those lines is there's this old piece of advice and you've heard this saying, there's a saying that says, if you want something done right, do it yourself. (laughs) And people believe that I've heard that my whole life. And it turns out that's the worst advice you could give someone that's trying to scale because People think, no one knows my company better than me, no one cares about it more than me, so no one's gonna do any of this stuff better than I am, and that's what's killing them. They fundamentally believe that they can do it better than anyone else, and they're creating the bottleneck. So because early success, they say, wow, I am pretty good at this, and so they just keep doing it. And then, the follow-on to that is, because they're, they're starting to grow doing it, they're so busy doing everything else that they never have time to look up. You know, here's a surgeon so busy scheduling appointments that if I say you should go interview six people for this appointment scheduling job, he says, I got no time to do interviews. And I said, what an irony. You got no time, you know, to be organized because you're too busy being disorganized to get organized, right? Your time would be freed up if you just break away and go interview people and hire someone. Yeah. I mean, listen, we've
0: all heard that one. I'm sure everyone tuned in understands if, you know, that, that one saying you mentioned, if you want something done right, do it yourself. And you know, you're proving it to be not true, which is great advice that we all need to hear. Now, Jeff, to wrap this up, one last question for you. If someone came up to you seeking a piece of advice to achieve their own definition of success, what would you tell them?
1: I, I would say that I've come up with this little thing. Uh, this is how I solved it myself, that I sort of called my quality of life index. And I wrote down, it's an equation, sorry, quality of life equation. I wrote down, what are the variables in the equation of your happiness, your success? So one of them, for example, is financial success. So write that down. Then, and and another one might be your physical health. Another one might be your spiritual health, your mental health, your relationship health. You write down all the variables in your quality of life equation, and then you go look at all those and put goals next to them. What would make me happy? I don't need – somebody might say, I don't need $100 million. I just need to be out of debt and have enough. I'm making this up. I want all my bills paid, and I want to have a vacation home for the kids. I want to have the kids' college money socked away, making this up. That would make me happy financially. What would make you happy relationship-wise? Well, I don't spend enough time. I never go visit my mother. So I'd like to visit her at least once a quarter for a weekend. Writing all these variables down, what are the elements of your quality of life equation, writing them on the whiteboard, and then looking at that and saying, okay, now I know if all these things, if all these things were true, I'd be a happy, successful person. And only when you stare at them and put them in writing are you ever gonna say, wow, I haven't seen my mom in six months, so I gotta go fix that one. And then that one's stable. Balance is this myth. You never achieve perfect balance in your life. You just keep adjusting whatever thing is burning red hot in your life. Now go fix that one. And when you get it under control, that's why I said, there's a time where you say, wow, we just said our second kid and we need a bigger house. Then right now, the variable in your life you need to f- focus on is the financial one. And you need to go get enough money to buy a bigger house. And then when you do, stop obsessing about money and say, all right, I did that one, but I haven't seen my mother. In all this time, I've been working on that. So you constantly, you're constantly, you constantly balancing, pulling different gears and levers based on which one needs your attention now. But you can't do that unless you're consciously consciously staring at your quality of life variables on an ongoing basis to make sure you're paying attention. to
0: Yeah, that's actionable advice right there as well. Jeff, thank you so much for this. I have to ask you, where can people keep up with you on social? Where can they get your book, <clears throat> any websites, any special projects, anything like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a jeffhoffman.com website. But the truth is that I am most active on LinkedIn. Um, On LinkedIn, I'm constantly I I communicate with a lot of people there. And I, I share everything that I'm working on there. So that's probably of all the social media, that's probably the best place to get in touch and stay in touch.
0: Awesome. Jeff, thank you so much again for dedicating time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Talk to you soon. And there you have it from Jeff Hoffman himself. Now, are you an individual that is looking to live their best life? Are you an individual that is looking to live their life to the fullest? Are you an individual that is looking to live an epic life? Well, You have just been given the blueprint by Jeff himself as to how you can do it. Just the way he's been able to create it for himself, you now have the blueprint to create it for yourself. So what I'm going to ask you to do is make sure you connect with him. All of Jeff's social links, things of that nature, can be found in the show notes of this episode. And as Jeff mentioned, he is most active on LinkedIn. So if you are looking to thank him for all of the experiences and insights and things of that nature that he shared with us here today on D. Decoding Success, your best bet is to reach out to him on LinkedIn and connect with him there. An absolutely amazing individual, Jeff. I want to say thank you again and express my gratitude for all you've been able to provide to all of us here at the Decoding Success faithful community. We really do appreciate that. And as I always do, I like to share a few of the key points, specifically three key points in every episode that stand out to me. And honestly, this gets harder and harder every single time. And Jeff definitely made it quite challenging to only focus on a few But there is one that I want to start with, and there's actually multiple points within this one. And the key point that I want to start with is having a laser focus. Now, Jeff actually mentioned this in multiple ways throughout the episode. We heard him mention it when he was discussing with an individual on how to convey message, right? You don't want to be someone that talks for 20 minutes, yet... The individual listening to you doesn't even know what the hell you're saying throughout those 20 minutes. You want to have laser-focused messaging. And I think that is crucial for not even, not even just people in business, but in general. If you're on a date and you're talking to your significant other or potential significant other about who you are, You don't want to just ramble and ramble and ramble to the point where the person's like, okay, what am I doing here, right? You want to be laser focused in a way where it really drills home as to who you truly are. Same goes for your business. You don't, you want to just declutter. You want to cut that clutter fat out of your life, out of your business. And I think that was a really big point that Jeff made, especially in today's day and age where, you know, attention spans really aren't as prominent as they once were, even if they ever were, prominent Uh, that might not be the best word to describe them but you get what I'm saying right they've definitely shrunk over time and in today's day and age having a laser focus on your messaging and and really drilling the point home rather quickly and, and concisely I think is tremendous in multiple aspects of life so that was definitely a huge point that resonated with me now the second point that resonated with me is again laser focus but laser focused when it comes to your goals and Jeff has provided many many pieces of actionable advice when it comes to your goals and as he mentioned it's not about going into the year with just one goal but he did provide actionable advice as to how you should be focusing on your goals and again it comes down to laser focusing laser laser focusing on specifics and I think that is uh, something that I personally don't necessarily do I kind of go into my year and go into you know the months and things of that nature with uh, a whole bunch of goals And I feel like ever since Jeff and I had this conversation, I've been able to change that a bit and really adapt his advice And I realize the progress that I make is a lot greater than when I have a wide net and I'm casting it, right? If I have a wide net and I'm casting it five feet, I may only be catching one to three fish. But when I have a deep net and I'm going deeper and I'm pulling the net up and I'm realizing that I'm catching 10 to 15 fish. And I think that was the big difference as to what I did and really took Jeff's advice here. And I highly suggest you do as well. Now. Another piece of advice, and this goes back to the beginning of the episode, where Jeff was really talking about his uh, fitting, or unfitting or, or not fitting in when it comes to corporate and he mentioned his, his sarcasm and I, I can kind of relate to that and I didn't necessarily have sarcasm but I had that class clown mentality when I was working in corporate even though it wasn't really corporate but I'm going to say quote unquote corporate America I kind of brought my personality and, and friendliness and bubbliness and goofiness into my work and it, it wasn't that it wasn't always accepted because there were times that it definitely was but there were times that it definitely was wasn't and the the thing that really resonates with me here is the fact that we have to be ourselves right and this is something that i see on social media all the time it's actually a meme that it's like this angel bent over and its wings you know his his face is kind of in the ground and his wings are up or her wings are up i'm not trying to be uh i'm not trying to claim any genders here but you know whoever the angel is the the wings are up and the person's face is in the ground and you know the individual that's standing before the angel is literally there just clipping the wings and, and like clipping them, like literally cutting them. And it says boss or something like that. Now, what that actually says to me and, and, you know, to connect it to what Jeff said is that we lose ourselves sometimes. and, And we, we aren't always ourselves when we're in positions like that. And it really hit home. And, you know, well, when I look back and I think about it you know we have to change ourselves to fit into situations for a paycheck sometimes and I have no nothing against corporate america my parents have been in corporate america for 35 plus years 40 plus years you know and i think corporate america is amazing it's not that everyone needs to be an entrepreneur or or anything of that nature but i think it's something just to be aware of right is is your environment accepting you for who you are or are you changing yourself to fit into the environment so you can be accepted and i think that's a really big question to ask ourselves you know like even with our friends this this is so much bigger than just work so i don't want it to just be work related it's really so much bigger are you changing who you are to to hang out with people are you hanging out with one group and then another group and realize that you're two different people within those groups i think it's super important to really ask ourselves that and jeff i want to thank you again for bringing that up and shining a light on it because it's really really important you know it's really important and you know i gave you three points there but it doesn't hurt to throw in a fourth and the fourth one is something that's been rather repetitive in very unique ways from each individual that's hopped on here and shared it and like i said in their own unique way and it comes down to team you know we we heard jeff talk about team multiple times whether that's wearing x amount of hats and, and things of that nature and you know this is exactly why decoding success has partnered with gen m and i i'm not even trying to shamelessly plug again here but you know If this can help someone, I do want to bring it up. You know, there, there's no reason why you shouldn't check this out. If you don't feel, or maybe you do feel like you could use some help. You know, maybe you're not the best marketer. Maybe you're better at sales, or maybe you're better at coding, or maybe you're better at design, or maybe you're better at whatever it is, and you need some marketing help. Gen M can help you bring on an intern to be able to do that. And it's something that I highly suggest. It's something that I stand by because I use them. You know, listen. Check it out. It's in the show notes of this episode. So again, Jeff, I want to thank you. Make sure you connect with Jeff. If this message, if Jeff's message resonates with you, if this hit home at any point of this episode, what I'm going to ask you to do, not only to connect with him, but make sure you share this as well. You know, text it to someone put it on your instagram story i'll happily happily gladly share it and shout you out listen it's all about being a value to other people and that's exactly why we have this show now you have the opportunity i'm putting the ball in your court i want to see you put the ball in someone else's court if this was a value to you. And again, if it was a value to you, a rating and review, this this is totally free. It costs you no money to consume this, but I would happily like to charge you in a rating and review if that does not sound too weird. It, don't, it takes less than 30 seconds to do it. We have a goal to reach 200 by the end of the year. We have about three months left to do it. You could help us get there. Seriously, you could help us get there. It would mean the absolute world to us. Now, if you haven't connected with me on social and you'd like to do so, check me out at M-A-T-T underscore L-E-B-R-I-S on Instagram and Twitter, Matt Labrie on LinkedIn and Facebook. You can just find the links to all of my stuff in the show notes of this episode. Again, I'm really grateful you tuned into this. You rocked with us here on Decoding Success. We are bringing new episodes to you every Tuesday and Thursday with amazing, amazing people, especially going into the end of 2019. So again, I want to say thank you. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.